Greetings and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat HaShavuah over the course of six podcasts during the week in which we are reading it. My name is Yitzchak Shalom. It's my honor to be studying Sefer Shemot with you, at least the second half of Sefer Shemot. And we are now in Parashat Shumah. We're looking at our second podcast. In our first podcast, we looked at Ramban's introduction to Parashat Truma and saw how he, how he described the, our, the Mishkan, which is the focal point of the entire parasha, as really being a continuation of Har Sinai. This accords with Ramban's general approach, which is Yesh Mukdam Muchar Torah, and the Mishkan was not developed as a response to the Egel, which is described much later in Shmot, but rather as an ab initio, as a lechatchila plan for God's presence to be felt among Am Yisrael. So we begin uh, this podcast in Perak Chafhe Pasuk Chaf Gimel. We have already described the overall donation and the purpose of the Mishkan. And then we described the two, or really one, appurtenance that's going to sit in the holiest place of the Mishkan, the Kodesh Kodeshim, although that term hasn't been introduced yet, and that is the Aron with the Edut in it, with the Kaporet on it, covered by the Kruvim. So you could count that as one, two, three, or four pieces. In any case, they all sit together. Moving outside, we now are going to deal with two different components which, if you think about it from the perspective of a residence, are, as Ramban said in that introduction, are the symbols of a residence. One is a table, and the other is a lampstand. V'asita shulchan shitim. So you make, it, make a table out of acacia wood. And again, acacia wood is what's being used throughout the Mishkan. Amataim orko v'amarochbo. So it's two amot by one amah. And one and a half amot high, which again, it's not very high off the ground. You're going to plate it with gold. And just as we have with the Aron, there should be a crown of gold that goes around it. So a one tefach um, frame goes around it. And in the way that Chachamim understand it, it goes underneath the top. And then there's a crown on top of that also. Again, all of gold. And just as we had with the Aron, there are to be four golden rings. Now notice how symmetrical this is. You're to put the rings on the four corners, which are at the four legs. We haven't heard about the legs yet, but there's evidently going to be legs to the to the shulchan, and wherever the legs are, which is at the corner, at that point there's going to be rings. And the rings should be in symmetry with the frame that's around it. Levatim levadim laset ot hashulchan. These are houses for the badim, again staves, to carry the shulchan. So the shulchan is being presented in very similar fashion as the aron. The aron is acacia wood, plated inside and out by gold, golden rings on the outside in the four corners, ki'ilu, and staves that are to go in it. Same exact thing here. 
Staves again are made out of acacia wood. And again they are plated with gold. And with them the shochan will be carried. So the shochan is going to be carried just like the Aron on staves, which as we find out in Parshat Pamidbar will be carried uh, by the Bnei Kahat on their shoulders. Vasita ke arotav, vechapotav, ukesotav, umenakiotav. We'll go through these in a moment. Moment. Hashem yusach bahen, zahav tahor taseotam. So now we are going, and this is something we did not see in the context of the Aaron, because it doesn't apply. We saw particular tools that are to be used with the Shulchan. The bowls, Ka'arotav, we don't know about these bowls, what they're for. Kapotav, the spoons. Ksotav seem to be kind of tongs, and Menachiotav, cleaning vessels. Ashayusachbahen, that, that are going to be attached to it, should all be made of Zahav Tahor. Now, if you recall, in the context of the Aaron, we had that verb used twice. And consistently, that verb. Now, so on the shochan, you're going to put lechem panim, showbread, face bread. Lefanai tamid, which will always be before me. Now God is saying that His presence is going to be here, and so now there should always be bread in His presence. How do you have bread be there tamid? And uh, so the Mishnah in Masachet Menachot tells us the following. As we will find out later on in uh, Parshat Emor, this bread is supposed to be brought in every week fresh. In other words, you can't have bread that's sitting there for a thousand years. So every week there's fresh bread that's baked, it's lechem apanim, it's 12 loaves, and they're brought in um, on, uh, on structures, uh, on a frame that's brought in to the mikdash and put on the shulchan, um, and it is their tamid. Well, how do you have something tamid which gets replaced? So the Mishnah in Malachot tells us the following. There would be four kohanim coming in every Shabbat around midday. Two of them coming in, prepare, bringing in the new Lechem HaPanim, and two of them would stand there holding the old Lechem HaPanim, and they'd put the new Lechem HaPanim on the Shulchan, and then slide the old Lechem HaPanim off, so there wasn't a split second without Lechem on the Shulchan, because Lechem Panim Lefanai Tamid. Rabbi Yossi disagrees. And Rabbi Yossi says that even if you took the old one off in the morning and put the new one on in the afternoon, that's still called tamid, because he says, what's tamid? That the shochan should not go overnight without lechem. So as long as it's during the same day, it's called tamid. And this then becomes an interesting discussion in that Gemara, and Daft about how that plays as a parallel with the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. What did Hashem say to Yoshua? You must speak the words of Torah day and night. How are we to fulfill that mitzvah? We have work to do, we have eating, we have sleeping, we have uh, all sorts of other things we need to do. How can we speak the words of Torah day and night? And so the Gemara then, there quotes the statement that, 
Even if you only read one parak in the morning, one parak in the evening, most Rishonim assume that that's referring to Kriyat Shema, you've still fulfilled that you're constantly learning, because as long as there's a poll in the morning, a poll in the evening, and that's based on Rabbi Yossi's opinion about Lacham HaPanim, which is in front of Hashem Tamid. And we'll notice that this t- notion of tamid will carry us through to the next section. So along with the shulchan, the asita menorat zahav tahor. Now remember, the shulchan was made out of wood. The aron was made out of wood. They're both plated gold. You can't make a menorah successfully really out of wood unless there's a lot of protection around it because it'll burn. The asita menorat zahav tahor. The menorah itself has to be made just out of pure gold. And now this is very reminiscent of the Kruvim and the Kaporet, which is Miksha. There has to be a single piece of gold. The menorah must be made from that single piece of gold. It's Yarech, which means its stem, its legs. Gvieha, the cups. Because after all, a lampstand has cups, and you put the oil into the cups. Kaftoreha, there are buttons and frachea, flowers, that are designs on the on the menorah. And we'll get more uh, more detail of that later. Mimena yihiyu, because they come from it. And that's the exact same phrase that we had with the kruvim. So you find something interesting happening. You have the aron seems to be replicated in a slightly different fashion with the Shulchan and the Kaporet with the Kruvim seems to be replicated in a slightly different fashion with the Menorah and it's as if this compound Kli which sits in the middle of the Mishkan bifurcates into two separate Kelim outside <coughs> there are seven, six sticks coming from the side why? three sticks of the menorah, uh, or stems of the menorah from one side, and three stems of the menorah on the other side. In other words, you have a middle stick, the yarech, and then you have kinim going, kanim going out from each side, so that you have essentially seven lamps. Ferach. <coughs> And you have these gvi'in, these cups, three of them, on each stem. And they are kaftor vaferach, meaning the, this, this symbol, this kaftor, and a flower on it. And on, each, uh, on the other kanet, you have the same thing. Which means in total, you're going to have 18 of these. Three times six. In the meantime, the menorah itself has another four gvi'im. How are they shaped? With kaftorim ufrachim. So what you have is a middle stem that has four gvi'im on it and six stems, three from each side, that each has three coming out on them. Also, there is a kaftor where each two come out. Now imagine a middle stick, a middle stem, and then three V's coming out 
higher, middle, and lower coming out. So you have effectively seven stems, you've got one middle stem, you've got three sets of two stems, and on the other hand you have two sets of three stems. You have three V's, but on the other hand the right side has three and the left side has three, so there's a lot of ways to play with the symmetry of this. And so in Pasuk Hey, the Khaftor Tachat Shnea Kanimimena, there's one Khaftor under where the one V is, and another Kaftor under where the next V goes, another Kaftor underneath where the other V comes. For the six that come out of the Menorah, and remember, all coming out of one piece of gold. And again, the emphasis. The Kaftorim and the Kanim, the, the stems, have to come from it. Again, Kula, Miksha, Achat, Zahav, All of it is one big piece of gold. And it's taken from there. Vasita, Neroteha, Shiva. And on top, you're going to have the Nerot. The Nerot, or not the way we use Ner in modern Hebrew candle, but rather the receptacles for the oil. You're going to have seven of them. Why seven? Because you've got the middle stem and three on each side. Ve'elat, Neroteha, Ve'eir, Alever, Paneha. You're going to light in, in flame the Nerot, Ha'alat Neroteha, literally means to raise it, but it means to inflame the Nerot, means put wicks into it and light them. It's then going to shed light all of in, in front of itself. The Malkachot and Machtot are the different tools used to clear out the ash and to cl- and to clean the stem of the uh, of the menorah and to put in a new wick, those things also have to be pure gold. And again, one talent of gold, pure gold, is to be made. All of these kelim, that's how much it is. Do see it and do it as per the model that you see up on the mountain. That is the menorah. We see in uh, in the in these two kelim, as I said, sort of an extension of the main cleat. Now remember that when it comes to the aron, we're told that that's the meeting place between the kruvim. The edut will be there. That's where Hashem is going to meet with Moshe. Here, when we talk about the shochan and the menorah, there is no similar purpose. The shochan has lechem panim v'fanai tamid. The menorah is. It will bring light. However, they are—they seem to be extensions of the presence of God that's going to be felt to the Mishkan. We don't yet know about the placement of these kelim, of the Aron, the Shochan, and the Menorah, but we do know that they are the three central kelim. How do we know that? Because if we look at the next Pasuk, which belongs to the next podcast, we then start hearing about the structure of the tent itself, and we're going to focus on the structure of the tent for the entire Parak Chavav. Only when we go to Parak Chav Zion will we then learn about more Kelim that belong in the Mikdash. Meantime, we'll pick it up at the beginning of Parak Chavav in the next podcast, and everybody should have a wonderful day.